more about the interactions that you have with the people. Like when I think about IG and people I follow on Twitter, I've met people on Twitter that have become my friends that are now like my real life friends. But it wasn't necessarily the app that did it. It was like the interactions that I was having with the people. You know what I'm saying? You are listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. Uh, I'm Kamar Dijarnet. Uh, George will not join us today, uh, but Katie, please go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to our audience. I'm so excited that you had the confidence, you know, to, to join us today. Well, thank you so much, Kamar. My name is Kate Chauvin. I am the Client Acquisition Manager here at Engine Systems, and I am so excited to be joining my uh, first um, podcast with you. Awesome. Great, great. All right. And we have a special guest. Uh, This person uh, has, you know, a lot more experience in the podcast field than we do. Um, And, you know, we look to learn uh, from her, but uh, Elizabeth Liba, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? We're so excited to have you. Oh my God, I got scared for a second. You said I have a lot more experience. <laughs> so I was like looking behind me like, who are they talking about? But I am super duper excited to join you guys. I'm Elizabeth Liba, and I am the co-host of the Ed Up Experience, a podcast on higher education, where we interview some of the thought leaders and presidents of colleges and universities all over the country. I'm so excited to talk to you guys and I'm ready to get it popping. So let's do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of our most popular uh, episodes was Higher Ed Needs and Elon Musk. And, you know, from that, uh, we started interviewing people and just talking about, you know, what is Higher Ed 2.0, online learning 2.0. And, you know, that's one of the things I kind of wanted to get into with you today. Um, Now, you specialize in in intentional design in an online environment. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, that's a a real big buzzword right now because of everything that's happened since COVID-19. Obviously, higher education was not ready, as Kevin Hart would say. We didn't expect any of this. You know, so this happened and a lot of schools were kind of scrambling around to try to figure out, well, what do we do pivoting to an online environment? So there's a certain amount of intentionality that goes with designing classes for online. Um, My background in online learning is that I have been an online instructor for about a decade, a little bit more than a decade. So my experiences as a faculty member came from the fact that I started teaching online, I would say relatively early in terms of the adoption. Obviously, online learning has been around probably since uh, it started like with more of correspondence courses, like probably in the, in the 90s, like in the late 90s. And some of the for-profits like University of Phoenix were some of the um, leaders in that field. And then we went into more of the online environment where schools started to say, okay, it's not very practical for us to mail out these papers and the student has to fill out all the the paperwork and mail it back in. So we have to figure out a better way 
of delivering this, uh, these subjects and, and giving students more access. So that's where online learning came into play in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and I started teaching online in about 2008. So that's really where my background comes in is that as an online instructor and now as an instructional designer, which I've been doing for about six years or so, how do we deliver classes online in a way that really encompasses the best practices of online learning, teaching pedagogy? And that's a science, more of a, it's, a, it's an art and a science. There's a lot of, um, I guess when you think about like, how do people learn, there's a, a big difference in how someone learns in a classroom as opposed to how you're supposed to, in a, a very effective and engaging manner, deliver uh, education online. So that's really where my background comes into play. It has to be intentional. Um, we've seen with the online learning environment with COVID and, and these classes being delivered in this post-COVID environment, that it's not as easy, perhaps, as people think. It's not like Zoom. It's not like, okay, we're just going to do the exact same thing as we do in a class, but just have like a, a Zoom session and, and it's going to be um, really engaging for the student because as we've seen, um, those of us that are parents and our students, our kids are taking classes online. A lot of times that just doesn't work. So there has to be a lot of intentionality behind how you deliver and develop online courses. And, and that's basically my um, bread and butter. That, that's really what I've done for the past decade or, or so. Yeah, that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting too, right? Because we're kind of at a crux of a, of a huge divergence, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, you have, you know, from an instructional design standpoint, you know, those who may have been against, you know, online uh, learning, or online universities, right, or remote, right? And then even just in a workspace, like you've had those leaders, I remember in a former life, um, I, I had a leader who, you know, thought that if you didn't, you know, work in the campus, then, you know, somehow, you know, you wouldn't be able to be as effective or successful. Um, and now, you know, fast forward to COVID, right? And time reveals all. Now, online learning is essential, right? Remote or working from home is essential, right? Throughout your journey, like, did you meet a lot of resistance and obstacles and then getting to this point where it was essential and a necessity? Could you maybe walk me through that or unpack that for me a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that has been a big I think when we think about COVID, obviously, it's really tragic, all the the challenges, health challenges that we've undergone as a country. You know, there's obviously been a lot of uh, tragedy associated with it, but it also has given us a lot of chance for introspection and maybe reimagining what the workplace looks like. And because we've been forced to be at home, many people that are non-essential that are working in a typical office environment. Your job could be done from home. But like you said, there's that typical um, button seat mentality, which we have that in higher education for students as well, where there is sometimes that traditional notion that in order for someone to be productive, whether they're productive in the workplace, whether they're productive in an academic environment, there is this idea that that cannot happen unless you're looking at somebody face to face. So we do have that same pushback in education where it's like, okay, I can't learn unless I'm in a physical classroom or a boss may say, 
you're not going to be productive if you're not in your office sitting there where I can walk by and see if you're working. But for a lot of us that I've been working from home, probably for the I would say the majority of my career, because I've always been an online instructor for the most part, for the majority of um, my um, faculty part of my career. I started my early higher education career as an admissions counselor. So obviously I was in the office, but when you're thinking about productivity, an online instructor, you don't work at the campus. You maybe work for multiple campuses and you do work from your home office. I've been an instructional designer where I have had to, for the most part, work from home because there's no reason for me to go to the office. I could go to the office, but that's kind of like, it's up to me if I want to go in the office and maybe talk to my coworkers, but I can be just as productive from home. And I think with COVID, what we've seen is that when we are forced to work from home, we can be just as productive. A lot of people are even more productive. Because you got to think about it, you're attached to your laptop. And a lot of times, you know, for myself, it's like midnight and I'm like, okay, let me hurry up and do this project. So let me, I have an idea. Let me jump on my laptop and, and maybe just do this. I was working um, last night, like after midnight, just working on a little project and, and something that I needed to work on for um, an upcoming um, rollout for a course. So I think the the whole idea of that pushback of, you can't be productive unless you're in the office has really been totally turned upside down because we have to be productive. We have to be able to find ways to get on a zoom call and talk to our coworkers on our team. We have to get on um, maybe a live session with students and, and find out if they have questions. If we're in an academic environment for those of us in the workplace, we're shooting emails back and forth. We're texting our coworkers to find out, Hey, what's an update on what's the status on this? We do it constantly all day now because we are not in that office environment and we're just as productive, I think, if not more so. So that translates across the board, whether it's academics or in the workplace, that now that push has come to shove, we are going to see, I think, a total reimagining of what the American workplace looks like. Google is saying, hey, you know, and, and all these different huge companies, Amazon and, and Facebook and all these companies have come out and say, hey, you know, work from home until next year. We don't even want to see you in the office. We're not going to push you to come back in the office. We see that you're productive and we know that you're still getting the job done. And, and obviously you're still meeting all the deliverables and all the benchmarks that we have, we've decided as a department. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I think for those of us that have children or those of us that are looking for a bigger and better work-life balance, it's actually uh, aside from all the tragedy that goes along with the idea of COVID, this has actually been a big eye opener for companies that as workers, employees, we've been saying that, you know, the whole time we can be totally productive and we don't need anyone to monitor us. And as a matter of fact, I think I have more contact with my coworkers now that I'm home than I ever did in the office, you know, so there's definitely um, that upside as far as it reimagining what work life and, and the ability to be remote looks like yeah, moving no, forward. Absolutely. Like it's interesting too, right? Like, cause I'm a big sports guy. So, you know, in basketball, you know, they're always talking about, you know, some of the legendary players, you know, and when they, when they ask the legendary players about current players, you know, it's always, you know, get off my lawn, right? Like they don't think that, you know, the new guys are as good as, you know, the guys that played, you know, back in the day. And it's interesting, right? Because as you grow up, you know, you hear all of these stories, well, you know, when I went to school, I had to walk 15 miles in the snow. <laughs> it's right now, like, like, why would you do that, right? <laughs> like, so, you know, right. the paradigm yeah. shift. And, and, and it's almost like when you think about it, you know, back in my admissions days, you'd have a person come in, you know, with the flu or some type of cold, but they're trying to 
uh, prove how committed they are, you know, to the team and the mission. And it's like, hey, champ, like, get out of here. Like, you're going to get the other 12 reps sick. Like, just we'll, we'll be fine without you. We'll figure it out, right? You fast forward that to now it's like, hey, people can actually be more effective at home, getting everything in order. And we've got a couple clients who, when they went remote, they were like, the crazy part is the productivity has shot up. And we've got to start figuring out a way to get these people to turn it off. Like, because they're working yeah. more than their eight hours. Yeah. Which is something that a lot of people never even expected, you know, would have been possible in the office, let alone at home. So it's, it's definitely kind of a paradigm shift where time and necessity is kind of, you know, unproving some of the, uh, the thoughts that we assume uh, were accurate, but might need to be revisited. And we were forced to kind of revisit them now. Uh, when you talk about strategies for student success, as you know, institutions are rolling this out, right? Some haphazardly, some who thought it might only be two or three weeks, and now it's been four or five months. Um, you know, what's your insight there? Well, that's I think a part of maybe the challenge when it comes to higher education and, and we talk about it a lot, those of us that have been in this field for a long time, is that sometimes there tends to be just a focus on business as usual. This is how we've always done things. This has always been successful. Higher education is one of those sectors that's really built on, I think, a lot of it tradition. So we, we haven't been as quick to pivot as a lot of other industries that have adapted technology, have been a little bit more agile. Obviously, I got to give higher education credit. Um, you know, a lot of schools were really responsive. They didn't take it lightly, the, the health issues that were associated with this. And a lot of schools, as soon as that those recommendations came down from the CDC, they pivoted to online. Literally, I have to give them credit. Like within days, I saw some of the schools that I've worked for and worked with, we were like, okay, let's get students safe. We don't want to put students in, in jeopardy. So definitely the ability to um, pivot really quickly to be able to be agile is um, something that I think schools have definitely done really well. Um, I, I think in terms of just um, moving forward, um, we have to continue to adopt that mentality of making sure that we are responsive to the students' needs, making sure that we are, um, you know, just being as, quick as possible to whatever's needed in terms of student support, provide that. So with some schools feeling as though, okay, it's going to go back to normal pretty quickly. I think a lot of schools, it kind of depends on the market that they're serving and the type of students that they're serving. But a lot of schools I have seen that it, it, for the foreseeable future, we're going to have to incorporate an online um, modality for learning and there are some students obviously that want to come back to campus and even the students that are coming back to campus that's usually in some kind of hybrid um, form in, in terms of delivery of our courses so what do we do we have to support those students that you know are not as comfortable with the idea of being back on campus and student support I think from my experience as a faculty member I really feel as though Retention and student support is the key factor. So for those schools that are being responsive to the needs of the students, they've had to really 
step it up as far as making sure that all of the, 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 the faculty are aware of just how important it is. I know for myself as a faculty member, just being there, making sure students understand the idea that, you know, we understand these are unforeseen circumstances and reaching out to students and having just, I think, more of a compassionate um, response to students that are struggling. A lot of students and, and, and even us, we're struggling with the mental health aspects of quarantine and the idea of uncertainty and feeling overwhelmed and there's all this news that's going on about what's happening as a country. We're really unsure of how we're navigating this in the, in the upcoming months. So student support is going to be essential in the coming months. And I think most schools maybe didn't really necessarily understand that in the very beginning because there was a thought like, okay, this is just going to be a blip and then come fall, we'll be right back to normal and things will be fine. And I think for the schools that I've, you know, been working for, there is this idea that, okay, this is probably not going to be anything that's going to go away anytime soon. Even, you know, we're thinking into the next year that, you know, things are going to be different. So the idea of things returning exactly back to normal is not necessarily, even though that was really a great, uh, maybe just being wishful thinking and just being really positive and optimistic. We know that that's probably not going to be the case. So we have to make sure that we have our faculty on the same page in terms of being there and as far as student support is concerned. If we don't have a robust student support um, mechanism on campus that can support students that are off campus and, and online, then we need to make sure that we are incorporating those um, support mechanisms moving forward. So I, I think initially there has been a little bit of hesitancy, like, oh, this is going to blow over. But we know now going into the end of the year that Things are not going to be normal. Uh, the, the new normal is what it is, which is moving forward. We're probably going to have to maintain a certain level of social distancing, at least until the foreseeable future through the beginning of next year. So what does that look like for our students and how can we best support our students? And I think most schools are, are understanding that and, and are putting that into play. This episode is brought to you in part by Chief Digital Marketers, the leading marketing agency for higher education and healthcare companies. Chief Digital Marketers ensures alignment between your marketing strategy, customer journey, and call center operations to guarantee qualified leads that turn into revenue at scale. To learn more or to get an audit of your current marketing initiatives, please visit chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Now, Liz, in your estimation, is there a big difference between remote learning and online learning? Absolutely. It's like night and day, remote and online. And I think that's one thing that the messaging has been a little bit, uh, I guess, obscured in all of this because there has been a pivot to remote. And then you have students saying, if this is online learning, I don't like this. This is why I've never taken online classes because I don't enjoy this. So I think there's definitely a huge difference. Remote is a Band-Aid. You know, remote is, and, and we talked about it in the very beginning, online learning is very intentional. When you're, de- when you're designing from an online pedagogy point of view, when you're designing an online class, you have the content, you have your discussions, you have your assignments and everything is geared towards student engagement in an asynchronous environment. And I think that's sometimes what has been lost in the shuffle as far as all this different terminology that's been thrown around is that students are seeing Zoom University and saying, I don't like this. This is not, this, this is exactly why I need to come to campus. And 
The fact of the matter is that anything that's asynchronous can be extremely engaging. We know this because most of us spend an inordinate amount of time on social media, right? We might, pre-COVID, we might have gone out to um, a bar after work with our friends, right? With our coworkers or whoever, and in a face-to-face environment, talk, laugh, ordered a, a, some appetizers, and had a very extremely fun and engaging um, conversation and, and social activity. However, that doesn't preclude the idea that we can be on Facebook and messaging back and forth. Somebody posts something and we're laughing about it. Someone else chimes in and then we go back on there in a couple hours. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And we kind of, maybe somebody posts a picture and then IG, someone puts a link. So that, that those two are not mutual. Those are mutually exclusive in that one of them is engaging and, and it's still fun and it's, you know, face to face and it's great. But that doesn't mean that we can't have fun in an asynchronous environment as well, right? So we can be on IG, we can post stuff and everyone commenting, all of the people in our little circle, or we can be in a WhatsApp group, WhatsApp, you know, you might say something and then I come in and I say my little piece, maybe 30 minutes later, then, you know, somebody else comes in and makes a comment or uploads a picture. So I think it, 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 it's interesting in that with an educational environment, we don't see that that can happen. You can have a very engaging face-to-face environment. That's great. And that might be something you enjoy, but you can still have a, a, an engaging environment asynchronously because we do it all the time on Facebook with our friends. We do it all the time on Instagram or we do it in, on WhatsApp. And that's the difference between a remote learning, which is really trying to really, um, we, we've all done this as well. We have our Zoom meetup meetups with friends where you're, you're really trying to replicate that face-to-face. It's really not the same, but you want it to be the same. So you're kind of having that face-to-face and everyone's kind of talking. Or, you know, online is really kind of like what I compare to like a Facebook or anything where you can still have that robust interaction and it's taking place in an asynchronous environment. It's still fun. It's still engaging. And I think there's been some mistaken, I guess, terminology as far as students feeling like, well, if it's going to be like a Zoom university, and I, I imagine if every time we had to talk to our friends, we had to get on a Zoom and talk face to face, it would be like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. I would rather just, you know, check in on Facebook and see what they're doing. I don't want to have to necessarily get on Zoom every time I want to talk to you. So we have to understand that I think students, um, don't necessarily want that per se. They want to maybe have an option to do that. Like I'd love to have a Zoom meetup with you guys like maybe every couple weeks or something like that. But I don't necessarily every time I want to talk to you, I don't want to get on Zoom because I know I can't meet you face to face now because of COVID, but do I want to get on Zoom every single time and have a Zoom talk with you every time I want to talk to you? Not necessarily, right? I'll catch you on Facebook or, you know, on IG or, you know, I can, we'll be in a WhatsApp group or a text group and we'll be texting back and forth. So I think it really is the same thing. Um, remote learning had its place with COVID. We had to quickly pivot and not all schools had the the infrastructure for online learning and the online, a truly robust online, just like a Facebook who didn't over Facebook didn't, didn't wasn't created overnight that had to build the infrastructure for that. So online learning is much the same way in order to develop really engaging online classes. They have to be developed. They have to have the content. They have to have the the, the discussion forums. They have to have um, all of these uh, assignments that are included in there, and they have to all be done in an engaging way that makes sense in that asynchronous environment. Um, Zoom University, quote unquote, or remote learning was 
okay just for kind of like a band-aid with the COVID situation. And, and as it was, we had to really get the students safe. But long-term, online learning is more compared to like a Facebook infrastructure where it can be just self-sustaining. Students can do it at their leisure around their other responsibilities. So they may have parenting, they may have their job, they may not necessarily be able to log on to a, a face-to-face course three times a week or whatever the case may be, which would, would be what would happen in a remote environment because it's just basically the same thing as class lecture, but happening live synchronously. And for a lot of students right now with everything that's happening with being um, essential workers, with themselves having to parent um, their own kids that are not necessarily being able to go to school um, face-to-face. It's, it, it, remote learning is really not necessarily a sustainable um, modality in terms of learning. So that's a difference. Remote is that face-to-face kind of band-aid that we all did in the spring. Needed, necessary, you know, just a bridge to what we would hope would be a sustainable online environment, asynchronous, more like a Facebook or IG where it's it's just when you get a chance, log on, do what you need to do, log off, get back on. And it's still engaging, but it, it definitely gives the students that have a lot of other responsibilities, essential workers, healthcare workers, um, student, uh, students that have their own children that need to take care of um, them in unforeseen circumstances with everything that's happened with COVID and not their, their own children not being able to go to school. That is um, really what we would want for schools to be moving toward in in some form or fashion in order to make sure that their students are, are best accommodated. This episode of the Higher Ed Podcast is brought to you in part by Engine Systems, an active performance and growth management company for the higher ed space. Engine Systems provides extraordinary insight, develops data-driven strategies, and works in conjunction with your institution to bring about the results and outcomes you need to expand your mission to more and more students. Engine Systems focuses in five distinct verticals, admissions training, CRN implementation and utilization, media management, call center operations, and active performance and growth management, which covers everything from staffing to budgeting. To learn more about Engine Systems and schedule a free discovery call, please visit our website at engine.systems. I think with online learning, there are plenty of schools that have intentionally designed programs where faculty are super engaged, discussion forums. And I personally went to um, graduate school, first time I did it face-to-face, the second time I did it online, and I did have that experience. I did have the experience, and this has been maybe 10 years ago that I did my online um, degree, um, master's degree online through a state school. And their program, the instructors were so engaged. So I think sometimes when we're thinking about it, it's not necessarily the app, because look at social media, right? You have had multiple different apps. You've had MySpace, you've had Facebook, you've had Instagram, you've had Snapchat, TikTok. It doesn't really necessarily, it's not really the app per se that's doing it. It's the people that you're interacting with you're creating that community with, you know what I'm saying? Like the app is just facilitating that process. So it's asynchronous. It doesn't have to be uh, face-to-face because when you're engaging with people on Facebook, 
it's people that you know or you, you get to know on Facebook, right? Or same thing on IG or on, on Snapchat. It's not necessarily the app per se because the app's coming up, right? It's like Facebook has been kind of like the dominant, but you have IG that's had its arc, you have Snapchat that's had its arc, you have Twitter that's had its arc, and they all kind of serve a purpose. But it's really not about the apps. Would you agree? It's more about the interactions that you have with the people. Like when I think about IG and people I follow on Twitter, I've met people on Twitter that have become my friends that are now like my real life friends. But it wasn't necessarily the app that did it. It was like the interactions that I was having with the people. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's where we, I think, think about online learning differently. And I sometimes I'm so bemused because I'm like, we know this is possible because I've literally developed friendships with people on Twitter that are now like my real life friends and that I have met up with in person. And this app just facilitated the process. It's really the people that, oh, wow, that person's personality is funny. Look, at they're posting funny stuff. And look, I'm having an interaction with that person. And that's really what online learning can do. When I went to school online, we used a platform, but the platform facilitated the relationship I had with the people and the discussions that were interesting and the instructor that was jumping in and chiming in and showing that they care. And I think sometimes that's where it gets lost. You can have, just like we do on social media, I always compare it to that because I, I feel as though sometimes we think learning, online learning is like a, a, a there has to be some magic app that's going to facilitate it. There's multiple platforms out there, just like there's multiple platforms that facilitate social media. It's really not the platform, though. It's the relationships that you develop with the people that you're interacting with on that platform. And it's the same thing with online learning. It has to be intentional in that faculty are engaged, that you give opportunities for faculty to engage with students, with the discussion forums, with the questions that are asked in discussion, with, I know with my courses that I facilitate, I'm always incorporating stuff from social media. I'm incorporating stuff from, hey, this article that just came out, did you see this in the news? So you, the intentionality of it has to be there, where if, if it's boring and it's just a whole bunch of stats or a whole bunch of theory or a whole bunch of stuff that's boring, it would be boring face-to-face. It's going to be boring online. It's going to be boring however you present it. So it's really not about the app. Like there's a magic app that's going to make it engaging. No, because there's no magic app that makes social media engaging. Like I, if I meet you on Twitter, if, you know, if, if what we're saying isn't engaging, then of course I'm not going to go back and, and engage with you because you haven't done anything to make it fun for me to want to talk to you. So you have to, it's not really necessary the app that is really going to do it. It's really the, what we talked about in the very beginning. It's the intentionality in, are you giving opportunity for people to engage? And we, and we know that Facebook has done a great job with that consistently. We know that some of the up and comers like Instagram and TikTok are always looking for ways, but how can we make it so people can have fun engagement? It's really not about per se the app and what the app does because we don't interact with the app. We interact with the people on the app. So that's what we have to do. We have to make the, the discussion forums engaging. We have to make the faculty aware that they have to engage with the student because if they don't engage with the student, the student kind of feels lost. We have to give the students opportunities to engage with each other. So are you, are you asking questions like, Hey, did you guys see um, this? And like, if I'm teaching an English class, I might ask my students, like, why is it important that we avoid fake news? Like, what are some examples of fake news that you're seeing out there? And why do you have to have credibility as a, as a, when you're thinking about English as a, as a subject matter, why is credibility important? And give me some examples from social media of times where you saw something that wasn't credible and you felt like really betrayed by the idea that there's fake news out there. Why does that make credibility important thing? So that's 
what we're doing. We're creating the intentional design so that students will want to engage, just like we would on Twitter. What is engaging on Twitter? Controversy, right? Things that make people want to go back. Like if it was dry and it was a whole bunch of theory on Twitter, we would not go on there. Facebook, we wouldn't go on there if there wasn't memes or funny things that we could interact with. So you have to provide that for the student. They, they, they need that in education and online learning environment as well, the same way we do in uh, social media, the same way we would in a, in a face-to-face classroom. If it was dry and boring, we wouldn't want to be there either. You have to make it fun for the student. Okay, so this, this, is, this is great. Let me, let me unpack this a little bit more, though. So are yeah. you saying that characteristics of online learning would be to be intentional to facilitate engagement, or are you saying under the intentionalities, one of those intentionalities should be high engagement? Either or, it's really one and the same. Because when you're develop, when you're when you're creating courses, yep. you have to ensure that that intentional design, those intentional design theory is there. And a part of that is the idea of engagement. You have to provide opportunities for students to engage with each other. You have to find in, in, opportunities for students to engage with faculty. And it, it's more difficult in an asynchronous, asynchronous learning environment the same way it's more difficult in any other type of environment, right? So if you're, and when we're talking about any other type of environment, I'm talking about as far as like interaction with people. Yep. If, I'm, if, I'm in the, if I'm in the workplace with you, all I got to do to interact with you is just walk by your office, right? right? But now we're both home, so you're in your house, I'm in my house, so in order for us to interact, like maybe our boss has to be like, guys, we're going to have a weekly check-in, or guys, you know, we're going to have like a, a workspace set up, or, or a group chat set up, or, or some kind of teams set up online, so that if anybody has questions, they can chime in. That has to be intentional. Like, there has to be something where you don't feel disconnected. So that's really, it's the same thing that we would do in the workplace. It was the same thing that we would do in social media. We have to find opportunities so that we can build those connections. And obviously it's always going to be easier face-to-face because if I need to interact with you in the office, you're right there. So I can just peek my head around my cube and I can talk to you. But if I'm home and you're home, then how do I find that? Maybe our boss has to find a way to do that, or maybe we'll find a way to do that. So it's the same thing with online. You have to create those spaces so the students are able to develop that sense of community. And that, that part has to be intentional because it's not going to be just like, oh, I just see you as I'm going to the break room and I can chit chat with you. And I have a way to be like, hey, what's going on with that project? I can't do that if I'm home and you're home. So how do we find a way to make sure that those interactions are happening? And that's where the intentional online design comes into play. It can't just be like, oh, a weekly Zoom session, because like you said, that fatigue starts to set in. So if there's an asynchronous way, just like in social media, if I don't have to necessarily log on to a Zoom and see you every week, but I can still have like a group chat where whenever I feel like it, maybe at midnight where I roll over, I can just drop a message in the chat and then you can respond to it whenever you want. That means I don't have to log on at six o'clock. I might not feel like logging on at six o'clock, but if I roll over at midnight in the group chat and just say something funny, you can respond tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. And then at noon when I'm having lunch, I could be like, oh, that's funny. And I, don't, I haven't put forth as much effort as I would have to with a, a weekly Zoom session where we're all getting on as a family. I got to put on makeup or I'm like, oh, what do I look like? And I'm obsessed with that or I don't really feel like it. And I have Zoom fatigue. 
So that's where the online intentionality, the pedagogy comes into play. Asynchronous learning, just like in any other environment, whether it's social media, whether it's a family, you know, get together, whether it's workplace and workspaces that are online, it's kind of the same thing. I, I, I think that sometimes we look at it differently with education because we feel like education can only happen synchronously and that's just not true. So, so a like would be a form of engagement. A repost would be a form of engagement. A comment, absolutely, would be a form of engagement, absolutely, it takes absolutely. Much less time than logging on for an hour for for for, for a Zoom call. Okay, I got you. Exactly, exactly. Because w- w- would you want to do that? Like I would. If if me and you, we're just all three of us, we're just socializing. I don't want to have to log on to a live. Zoom call with you every time I want to talk to you. Like I want to be able to have like, let's can we set up a WhatsApp? If I want to talk to you, I can just drop a message in there, and then you get to it. When I don't have to every single time I want to talk to you, we have to log on to a, a Zoom call every day. I would not want to do that. I would literally probably like boycott that if I had to do that for my job. Every time I want to talk to my boss, I have to log on to a Zoom and talk to her face to face. I would go crazy. Like that's why we have work emails. We don't have work Zooms every, every minute that we want to talk to our boss, right? Like every time you've got to talk to your boss, you've got to be like, hey, can you do a Zoom? Like you would literally start to like cry every time. So it's the same thing with our students. We can't expect anything different. Like in a workspace, we don't get on Zoom every time we want to have a meeting. We might have one once a week or we have our check-ins. But for the most part, everything's taking place. Emails are firing rapidly back and forth or group texts or chats, like you said. So in a social media context, a retweet, a comment, a little meme that somebody posted with an LOL, a like, those are all forms of engagement. And that happens asynchronously in Facebook, in IG, in whatever way we interact with our friends, our coworkers, people that we know on Twitter. It's the same thing in online learning where I went to school online and I have the, the most amazing instructors, the most amazing um, types of relationships with my, my uh, students, my, the students in my cohort when I was online. And we did the same thing. And I, I was like, I would be chomping at the bit to get into my online class to like go and see like what people said or what did the instructor say? It was just like Facebook for me. It was just like, I was constantly in there because it was designed really intentionally to be very interactive. And the instructors took that on and really were in there all the time, just like a Facebook where you would be like, Oh my gosh, he, he responded to me. Let me hurry up and respond back. And let me chime in and say, but that only happens if you have that design. Like if you only have like zoom, once a week, then clearly that there isn't an opportunity for that ongoing conversation, which is what we see in social media. It's not just live, live webinars on social media. It's a constant ongoing thread of conversation. And we've seen it can be life-changing in, in situations like Twitter. We've seen the Me Too movement and other things, um, Black Lives Matter hashtags that have literally taken off and changed the world, not even just the country, the world. So there is a lot of possibility for asynchronous um, interaction that can really be life-changing. And I I know for myself, I've seen it with my students that I've had interactions with my students where I felt like in an online environment, I've actually grown closer to my students than I have in a face-to-face environment. That vulnerability is there that we see in online, on social media that is not necessarily, people don't have the ability maybe to let those walls down. 
in face-to-face environments that they are able to do online. So I think for myself, just as a student as well as an instructor, online learning is actually more robust, more engaging in a lot of ways than face-to-face. Right. Now, it's interesting just to following up on the engagement part, because you even take a world where you've got, you know, uh, uh, I think Seth Golden says so much noise, right? So you've got the Zoom, you've got the email, you've got the phone call, you've got the text messages, and yet and still, you can build a billion-dollar company with Slack. And you're like, well, how is this different from all of these other things? But if I'm sitting in front of a computer and we've got a project with these companies in it, or this particular company that we're working with, that minute second of time that it saves me to be able to slack messages back and forth increases the engagement, minimizes my labor costs, and you have people all over the world utilizing it, right? When you thought that maybe mm-hmm. there was no more room for any, you know, any other vehicle, here comes Slack. Now, I remember the first time we started using, I'm like, like we, we have a million different versions of this. What are we doing? And before you know it, it's like, why don't you Slack me? Like, why, why'd you email? Why, why didn't you just Slack? Um, so, yeah, that goes to your point. I think this is a great pace to end. Uh, Katie, any final remarks, thoughts, questions? I have a whole page of notes and I'm so impressed by uh, your thought process and um, being in or coming from um, a the for-profit education sectors um, in the COVID environment. I have so many more ideas now and ways that I'm looking at them. Definitely thank you so much for your time. And um, I really appreciate all of the insight that you've been able to bring to the conversation to Kamar and I and all of our listeners that we have here for the podcast. Oh, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. For sure. All right. Liz, really appreciate you. Let's stay in touch. I'll circle back. Absolutely. Um, I know everybody's busy, so I had a hard stop at 12. Um, but I will definitely catch up with you later. I really appreciate your time and your patience today. Thank you, Liz. Absolutely. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.